Since being a guest on Inside Music Cast in 2008, John Harrington has been running nonstop. Touring with Steely Dan, and most recently with the Dukes of September tour, which featured Michael McDonald, Boz Skaggs, and Donald Fagan, the New York City singer-songwriter has focused on producing his latest solo effort, Shine, 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 the follow-up to his 2000 solo release, Like So. But Shine is different in many ways from its predecessor. This album has a heavier guitar influence, and at times it has an edgier approach. The quality of John's writing and musicianship remains second to none. Harrington collaborates with some very talented players and longtime colleagues, including bassist Dennis Spantman, Frank Pagano on drums, and on keyboards Rob Morseberger and Jim Beard. Espantman and Pagano combine with Harrington to form the John Harrington Band, who perform regularly on the New York City scene. They've performed together for years, and their talent shines through on Shine. We're honored to connect once more with one of the most proficient guitarists in the business. Inside Music Cast welcomes back John Harrington. Hey, John, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Happy I, to be here. Yeah, we can't believe it's it's been like uh, three years since we last talked to you, and you know we That's we know you, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like it hasn't been that long, but we know you've been you know you know pretty busy with several projects since then, and you know today we our, our goal here is to cover a lot of ground with you, including your new album, and that's what I want to dive right into. I want I want to talk about your new album project called Shine Shine Shine. And when we uh, spoke to you a few years ago, you know, at that time, you clued us in that you were in the process of finishing, at that time, you said 13 tracks for your yeah. new record. And this, you know, yeah. of course, this new album ended up with 11. But um, yeah, I'm guessing it was your tremendously busy schedule with Steely Dan and other projects that sort of delayed the progress and release of the album. Is that right? That is right. I, I didn't really want to be working on it while I was on the road. Number one, there, there I had enough to do, um, just uh, getting through the gigs and, uh, and the travel. Plus, uh, you know, we were in stages mostly where we were uh, doing overdubs, and then, uh, and then, of course, we had a mixing stage and a mastering stage, each of which took a took quite a bit of time. Uh-huh. And you know, it was just I think I think I added up all the days I was away one of these past couple of years, and it ended up being almost ten months on the road or something ridiculous like that. Wow. So mm-hmm. it really didn't. Uh, I mean, it didn't take that many man hours. It it just you know it took a long time to find the man hours at right. home to do. Because so, uh, yeah. some of these tunes we uh, we wrote quite a while ago, and uh, you know the the initial recording, uh, the, the the tracking session for this record was was probably it's probably well over two years ago, it might even be closer to three that we mm-hmm. actually tracked these tunes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, and yeah, the, the couple tunes got lost along the way just for quality reasons. One of them we weren't happy with the lyric and. Uh, we're, it's going to go on the next one, which because uh, we finally came up with a lyric we like for it, but uh, too late. So we'll we'll use the rhythm track because it's a good track. But uh, and another one just uh, it just never came together. It just uh, it it just was one of those you know just tracks that just did, we couldn't find a way to make it work, and uh, mm-hmm. so we just uh, chucked it. And uh, but we got eleven tunes, and uh, I think we got a strong record there. So. Yeah. So most of your songs were either uh, written in the course of the two years, and there were some new ones. I mean, were there some that were written within the past, uh, you know, three four months, or were they all pretty ones that you had always in the in the, in the basket? I, I uh, I'd have to look at the list, but I have a record in front of me. I'll, I'll take a look. Uh-huh. Um, Fabulous was a pretty new one. Uh, uh-huh. The only fool's an old one. Thirteen feet of rain was a pretty new one. Uh, let's see, in love with love was a new one. Uh-huh. Dreamin' had it was an old tune that we that I had always thought was an almost but not quite until I got together with Dennis uh, recently, well, sort of before we started tracking, and uh, I said, you know, what do you think? Can we make this tune work? And like 
he he got out his surgeon's knife and we uh, we fixed the course, which in my earlier versions had been too long, like twice as long. Mm-hmm. So the tune ended up feeling logy and dragging on, and like, mm-hmm. uh, so he he just said, "Well, okay." I said, and then we had to change some lyrics. But the form became like right away. I said, "Ah, that's it. You know, we figured it out." But that had been around for years, just sitting around waiting to be recorded. But mm-hmm. it wasn't quite ready. But now, but we fi- we fixed that one up. Everything is a pretty new tune. Yeah, it was pretty recently before we uh, we did the recording. So there wasn't really a thematic approach for the whole album as a concept. You were basically looking at some uh, some songs and some styles and that type of thing. And you were. It's interesting. We uh, originally um, after. After we did, we did like so, which was uh, I think it was released in two thousand. Yeah, um, we, uh, you know, I, I had done some gigs with the band. We we would do them when I wasn't on the road, and off and on we were working. Uh, and I was I really had the idea because I'd been doing the Steely Dan gig, uh, and because people were you know thinking of me as a guitar player, you know, and and the reaction I got to the to the record uh, like so was always. Oh, it was a re- usually a reaction of surprise that, oh, well, uh, it doesn't sound like a shredder, a guitar shredder's record. You know, <laughs> right. They're surprised that there was a songs record, you know, basically sounds like uh-huh. a, a singer-songwriter's record. And so my first intention when I began to think about the next record was that uh, I should I should try to sort of just bring the guitar to the front a little more. And uh, I remember like getting together with a couple friends of mine to try to do some writing because I felt like the kind of lyric writing uh, that I naturally uh, went for wasn't exactly the kind of lyric writing that was going to work with a, a guitar heavy or a guitar in the center kind of approach as well. And I wanted to make it more bluesy and mm-hmm. I wanted to have you know guitar solos that where I stretched out more. And uh, I was having trouble finding the right kind of tone in the lyric writing so i asked my friend jim farmer uh, to help me and and i asked dennis the bass player in the band uh dennis espantman to help me and and i came up with a bunch of tunes but um but i over the course of like taking a look at it mostly with dennis who was a big help in doing the, the new record um we we found that we we just didn't find the tune strong enough and uh yeah. and so a lot of them didn't didn't get get on there a few of them did however one of them was up for grabs because that was one of those tunes that got written in that period, and another one was uh, "Harsh Light." Those two, those two were the keepers of that attempt to try to uh, kind of go more like for a sound where, like, a, that a small band could do in a bar. You know, not not a slick sort of layered record as much as a as a record that would uh, be. You know, more, more, a little more raw, a little more bluesy, with a lot more guitar in the front. So, so um, but anyway, to make a long story short, when I, when, uh, when we finally did the, did come up with what we thought were enough tunes and strong enough tunes, it turned out that the the bulk of them really did sort of uh, stay in the same sort of singer songwriter bag. You know, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. so, and we couldn't, we just couldn't deny it. And we had good songs, and they seemed so much stronger than some of the other ones even though the other ones were featuring a little more guitar playing. Uh, you know, the other ones I had tried to write around the guitar. I would say, well, what would be a good solo section? And then we try to write a song around that. And doing it that way, it just seemed like the songs didn't come out as strong, but they just became, they were good vehicles for the guitar, but they, but we felt like they weren't strong enough. So mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, we, we ended up with songs that I think are actually quite a bit more like you know the singer songwriter vibe of like so, mm-hmm. but I, I still tried to you know sort of 
make sure that I up the ante a little bit on the guitar on the guitar playing and the guitar solos. So, yeah. and I think I succeeded in doing that. I think it I think it hits harder as a guitarist's record than like so ever did. Yeah, well, you definitely. I, I think I think you did up the ante, and I, there were some there were some great guitar solos on this album. They ranged from. You know, from uh, from what you were saying earlier, you know, sort of a shredding style to, to very some very tasteful things. You know, even including some, you know, like on uh, one of your tracks, it, it was more of a Spanish, you know, almost like a Spanish guitar approach, a little more. Yeah, well, there's a nylon string on "In Love with Love." Yep, uh, that's the one. The solo for that one. Yeah, I think it's probably the only one where it's acoustic. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but then there's some bluesy stuff, and there's some uh, I don't know some some more melodic stuff, and. Uh, but yeah, I, I did. But I, I did try to go for it. Actually, my favorite tune on the record, uh, favorite solo on the record, I think, has got to be on "She Remind Me of You." Something like about that one. It just, uh, it just feels like uh, that one just worked. Somehow. Well, you, you mentioned your, you started to talk about your band a second ago, and, and you know, you guys make up a pretty powerful trio, and that includes uh, your bass player Dennis Spantman, which you mentioned, and also Frank uh, Pagano on drums. That's and right. Tell me about the relationship with with Dennis and Frank. I mean, how how did you guys meet? And tell us about the uh, the chemistry between the three of you. Well, I, actually, I met Dennis, uh, I think, way back in maybe '86 or something like that. And uh, I think we met just on a on a pickup gig somewhere. And uh, I think uh, I think maybe he introduced me to Frank. Um, and because uh, after I'd worked a bit with Dennis, um, for some reason at that time I was I was interested in finding a trio to just do some work, uh, some just put a small band together that we could just do some work in bars and around New York where we lived. And uh, I Dennis was interested and uh, it sounded good to me. And uh, so we he said, "Well, I, got, I know this drummer." It's, and Frank, that was Frank, and we got together once. And I had a, I had a sort of plan for what what kind of thing I. I wanted to do and the, the the sound of the band and the, the sound of the tunes and the arrangements and uh, we played for about a half hour the, and right away I knew that like well this that my my plan wasn't going to work <laughs> <It was funny. laughs> because I say well these guys are not going to sound at all like what I was imagining <laughs> but but I was old enough and smart enough even then to to sort of say but you know what some of this sounds really good and some of this is, this seems really easy to do and really fun. I said, I think there might be something here. So, you know, I went back to the drawing board and I, I, I tried to remember what we had done at the rehearsal. And I said, okay, well, this kind of tune doesn't work. This kind of tune doesn't work. But this kind of tune, now that one, that one sounded better than I ever thought it would. And so there's something here. And uh, and it turns out they're both singers. And uh, so we, we uh, you know, over the years, we've, we've it's been, really been since then, I don't know, it's like probably 30 years or something we've been, we've been doing this off and on, which is amazing to me. But uh, we, uh, we at, at, in the in the early stages, we were just playing kind of our own rearrangements of blues tunes, and we played some reggae tunes, we played some Dylan tunes, and just kind of stuff that we knew and, and stuff that happened to work as a trio. But we were just doing bar gigs, and uh, you know, we played three sets worth and just have a good time. But there was no original music, just some original arrangements of things. And then uh, after we did that for a couple of years. It started to feel like it was good enough so that we uh, we ought to try writing some, and we did. And uh, it's the rest is uh, you know that that ultimately led to a lot of those tunes on like so because some of those were co-writes with those guys. Quite a few of those were co-writes with those two guys. And uh, and Dennis and I do a bit more than Frank and I do, but uh, 
sometimes we're all all three together working on stuff. But yeah. but Dennis and I've done a lot of writing in the land. We and we've done a lot since this uh, since Shine 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 has come out too. Mm-hmm. Got, yeah. In fact, we're going to record uh, at the end of this month. We're going to go do some more. Uh, I think we've got enough. Uh, we had three tunes that we did about a year ago. Uh, rhythm tracks. Uh, well, actually, we finished those. Those are pretty much done. And the idea was to sort of get a. A sound that was much like the live band, not not to do a record like a singer-songwriter's record, and uh, and really just go the other way completely with it because we found we didn't we didn't really sound like these records do because these records were made more and you know with the overdubs and layering and you know they were produced quite quite fully you know and uh, the band is is a big sounding trio but it's quite stripped down compared to stuff on the records so uh, yeah. No, so we're we're doing a bit of that now, and uh, but yeah, it's 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 a relationship that's been going on for all that time, and uh, you know we don't we don't get a lot of continuity sometimes when I go away, but from uh, <laughs> traffic too. But uh, but we've kept it going, and it's always been fun. And and actually, in the last three months, we've really really picked up the pace. We've gotten to, to do some TV stuff, and we've gotten to do uh, a bunch of gigs around uh, the New York and Philadelphia area, basically. Yeah, and, cool. We're going to be doing. There's a couple of things that are up on uh, video now that uh, of the band. We did a couple recent gigs where people had some cameras. So uh, cool. Yeah, it's coming out good, and it's it's really been fun. I mean, it's just it's just a blast, and a lot of fun new tunes that are entertaining, and uh, but still really good blowing vehicles for me. So. Yeah, you mentioned a little while, a while ago that uh, you all sing, and uh, on this album, uh, all the you know the band basically contributes uh, to some vocals. And, yeah, it's uh, true. Was that in the original plan of you know uh, of having all the guys uh, contribute vocally? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we uh, because we we do this stuff live, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and I use those guys as as background vocalists, and occasionally they actually sing lead too. Uh, but uh, yeah, and all those tunes, um, cool. You know, we we uh, we we definitely uh, planned on doing that, and and actually we there was some thought of on one tune. I think it was Harsh Light. I you know that. A couple of people said, "Well, you know, the girls would sound so great on that," and uh, <laughs> and I had to agree. I said, "You know, girls would sound great on that," but like, but I, I decided to go for, uh, you know, for for using the guys just because I don't know. Just kept it sort of what it's about. It didn't, you know, it, that felt like no, oh, it was cheaper too, by the way. But <laughs> <laughs> that's always nice, but uh, but but you know, there's something about it that just felt, you know. Like homemade and like home brewed and in, in the right, right yeah. spirit, you know. And that never, way. never admit it was cheaper. Just, just tell people this. This is a man's album. It's no, a man's. Album. This is but a man's album. It, it does keep it like a band project. <laughs> <laughs> it's not right to me. You know? that, that, that is, well, you know, I, I've been uh, spreading the word about your new album to a lot of friends and colleagues, and the, the first thing they want to know is if your album sounds anything like Steely Dan, because you know there's that association. And and you know, I very simply say no. Well, now that you've released two solo albums, your first, you know, like you mentioned a second ago being Like So, uh, you know, we're really beginning to discover who you really are from a style and songwriting perspective. And, you know, if you were to describe your own style and sound, how, how would you describe it? Mm, tricky one. Well, I, I, I think I always uh, think of it as uh, sort of my current take uh, of... Uh, on the music I grew, I, I originally fell in love with when I decided to play guitar and uh, sort of had to learn all that music because I loved it so much. Had to figure out what made it tick, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and that's really it. Really boils down, I think, mostly to uh, what was what was like really on New York City radio in 
19 well, even earlier, but like mostly like the late like like 1968, you know, through 72 or something, mm-hmm. and, and maybe even back earlier than that before I was playing guitar. You know, I mean, I, I was a big radio listener, and radio was fantastic in that day, and, and uh, everything from you know the Four Seasons and the Beach Boys uh, through the Beatles, and uh, you know, the, but mostly it's this, when I started playing guitar, it was sort of British invasion rock that I sure. fell in love with, like Cream and Hendrix and Zeppelin and the Who and. And, uh, you know, that just, that was just like, I just had to know what all that music was about. And I, I spent a lot of time just listening and learning and, and playing and, and, and pretty soon started writing tunes. And, you know, I got, I got a little sidetracked when I, got, when I went to college and I, I got interested in jazz and really spent a long time with, you know, uh, with that music exclusively. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it, so there's... I think currently, like my tastes, and and, and I, if I had to describe my like sort of my taste and my style, uh, I think I'd have to say it's it's all that early, all those early influences through this filter of years of jazz study and uh, and then um, the years of and also the filter of the years after that of trying to find a way to sort of reunite those those sort of two different you know areas of study you know uh-huh. in my playing and in my and just in my whole approach you know mm-hmm. um because i you know i think there there's some things about about some of the stuff i write that uh you know that has a, that has a little of that jazz sophistication that mm-hmm. that i think you know, you, uh, you you wouldn't hear on uh on some sort of more more pure rock or pure blues records you know right. And and that's about all I would say that you can hear that I might share with uh, with Steely Dan writing, you know, mm-hmm. because they certainly do that. that. That shows a lot more in Steely Dan work, it seems to me, because uh, again, mostly my uh, I, I think my 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 first love was just this, you know, was a kind of pop rock songwriting with uh, you know the blues and rock guitar sounds and uh, but you know songs that. Uh, yeah, you know, which are, I mean, I, I, as far as songs go, the songs I've always loved, I always loved the Stones, I always loved the Beatles, you know, yep. all all that is just uh, Cream I used to love, I, Zeppelin is, and Hendrix, there, there's lots of great songs, and not just, it's not just guitar playing or, or sounds of the style, it's, uh, they're great songs too, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's as close as I could get to sort of, yeah, kind of, you know, summing up generally what, sure. uh, what my, my, how I think of it. I don't, I don't know how it, I don't know. I, 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 I think about it. That's, <laughs> that's about think, what it feels like to me. I think that's pretty accurate. You know, the, the album opens up with a, a powerful driving track called The Only Fool, which features a huge, you know, sort of straightforward drumming attack by uh, Frank Pagano and some really tasteful, you know, rock-oriented guitar solos. And, and lyrically, this song is about, you know, someone who is blinded by love, essentially, and can't see past the fact that the person he's in love with doesn't love him in return. And you know, it, was that accurate? I mean... <laughs> Pretty good, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it's 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 essentially a blues. I remember the inspiration for that tune. We uh, we were we we were playing a tune. Uh, um, I can't forget whose tune it is now. Maybe it's uh, Elmore James or something. It was it was in that early band uh, a long long time ago. We used to play uh, a bunch of blues covers, and I think it was an Elmore James tune called "Person to Person." Yeah. And uh, we had seriously re- rearranged the music to it at one point and tried to see if that would work. 
and it just got so far away from the original that, that the original lyric didn't make sense with it anymore. It didn't feel right with it. So, so uh, I think it was mostly Frank and I that came up with this with this lyric that uh, would work for uh, for that that revamped kind of blues that. Uh, and uh, so it it really was sort of a blues lyric in a way, but it was one, um, yeah, you know, yeah, he's 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 pretty uh, he's pretty desperate and uh, he's 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 deluding himself, no question about it. But uh, yeah, it just it seemed to fit with the with the music we ended up with, and uh, it and it's and the, I can deliver it like a blues, like vocally, I can sing it like a blues, yeah. which I still. Well, the, the big question, John, is who is this person? <laughs> oh, well. Uh, Next question here. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah. Moving right along. <laughs> you know, the oh, second, I don't know if it's autobiographical. I don't th- no, not really. I, I, didn't get, I haven't got too stuck like that. I'm pretty good shape. Though. Just curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, take a break here and let's take a listen to uh, the opening track on the album. This is The Only Fool by John Harrington on Inside Music Cast.
Well, the, the second track in the album is called Fabulous, and, and you mentioned it earlier. This, this song definitely has some of that influence you were talking about earlier, that, that Britpop feel is really written all over it. And the, oh, yeah, that's, and, a, that's, a, that's a clearly uh, like an undeniable uh, Beatles yeah. tribute, uh, and uh, I, I wasn't trying to hide it. I was enjoying it. Yeah. Well, cool. what I'm curious to know is, is who is, well, another who is question, who is Mr. Fabulous? I mean, did you have someone in mind when writing the song? <laughs> In a, in a, in a, in a, I did have an initial inspiration for it, which uh, <laughs> you can't say. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can say actually, sort of. I, I can sort of say this. Okay. Uh, it was, um, but I don't want to reveal too much about it. But it was uh, the, the name, the title actually came from uh, a uh, a comment my 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 good friend Mike Miller made to me. We were on a Bette Miller tour, and um, <laughs> we had occasion to hear. Uh, and see uh, a band, and uh, and the guitarist um, it was I don't know we, we, we uh, there was a lot of flash basically it was it was not a lot of substance like lots of style very little substance okay. I'd say and uh, so Mike 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 came over to me afterwards and said he said that guitar player was a little fabulous wasn't he <laughs> <laughs> I said. I said <laughs> he may have said Mr. Fabulous or I, I, I might have said yeah Mr. Fabulous I said you know there's a song in there somewhere essentially it was uh, you know that was the, the initial inspiration and uh, and I took it and ran with it and I, and I said well okay what what should this song sound like and I and I thought it just for some reason the Beatley thing uh, worked and um, you know um because the Beatles would do tunes like that, sort of. Uh, I remember what was the one, uh, the great one about uh, "Sexy Sadie." It was apparently about the Maharishi that they all sort of mm -hmm. you know, had, had like gone to for a while, but I, I guess had, had, had uh, outgrown or something. And so it was a sort of a <laughs> kind of a, you know a pan of uh, of the Maharishi, but uh, you know <laughs> very disguised. But uh, <laughs> you know, scary. so they, they they did that kind of you know just. They would use a, a, a tune like that. We did one called Fauntleroy on the first record that has a similar vibe, just lyrically. You know, yeah. it's not a love song, not about you know lost love or you know, it's uh, you know about a about a, a guy who is who you're critical of or something in a way. You know, but it it, it seemed like fun and um, it grew from. It really isn't about the guy because we didn't know the guy at all. It, uh, but he was a little fabulous and uh, and it just let it 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 kind of led me to think about people like that you know and uh, and and really it became a song about about the sort of the, the, the strangeness of celebrity and you know um you know and and the the strange sort of public appetite for somebody famous you know when when uh you know it you know it, it seems yeah. so silly sometimes you know to me and yeah. uh you know, and it's it's so it's so uh, prevalent in this business, of course. You know, so I don't know. Every once in a while, you need to poke a little fun. So <laughs> that's what that's about. Say
earlier about the, that the production quality on this album is is nothing less than stellar and um, it's it's one of the best recordings that we've heard in, in quite a while and uh, can you give us some insight as to where the album was recorded and uh, who helped engineer this baby 
Yeah, well, uh, the engineer was Sham Sundra all the way through. He did the tracking. Uh, he didn't do overdubs because I did. I was able to do most of the overdubs myself uh, mm-hmm. in my small little studio space. Uh, but he did the mixing, and um, he uh, he helped me get the mastering straight. And uh, so it was really uh, his baby that way, uh, sonically. Um, but you know, there were a couple other factors. Um, I think that helped contribute to making it uh, sound like that. One uh, is that we we actually used analog tape on the tracking, so the really? uh, the drums and bass are uh, were done to tape. And, wow! Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty unusual these days. That's uh, nice, but it works. And uh, we had done like so that way too, and uh, that that one the, the sound of that record held up for me too. Yep. So I say, well, okay, I don't think I want to change anything here. It's working, you know, and uh, and so. Uh, you know, a lot of the guitar tracks that were done at, at the original session, some of the whirly uh, piano tracks that I did there are also were also done to tape. Um, I don't think any vocals survived uh, from the original. I think I redid all those. But uh, but yeah, the, the but you know, as far as getting a bass and drum sound, um, you know, it, it's tape, and that, I think that really you're starting in the right place. We did it at a, a studio in Brooklyn called uh, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn called uh, Mission Sound. It's a nice room, and it's. I don't think they do a lot of uh, you know commercial type work there. It's really a place that bands go to to do records, and right. uh, so it has a, a homey vibe and uh, very comfortable. You feel like you can you know relax in there and just kind of you know low pressure, but but good sound. I got a good knee board, and uh, you know it's, it was it was great. So Sham took care of it from there, and uh, yeah, I think that was a big part of it. Well, he did a, he did a great job because it does sound great. Um, and yeah, that's that's cool to know that he cut it on on analog tape because uh, I don't know I I'm a I have a studio myself and of course I use Pro Tools um, mm-hmm. and I still I'm just a sucker for the old recordings the way they sounded and I think you know the the tape element has everything to do with it <laughs> or yeah, a, a huge part of it anyway. You can do you can do great great recording. You know, I'm, there's there's certainly beautiful records then on Pro Tools. So sure, when sure. You've got, when you've got the budget and you got the years, and mostly it's about the years. Yep. You have a you know you need a room and you need good good gear. I think you, yep. need, you need good good board. You need good mics, mic prees, good converters. You know all that stuff. Right, right. It helps when it's high quality. I think, but uh, but there is a there is certainly a quality you get from tape that uh, is is what we love and mm-hmm. remember. And I I, I think it uh, it's still quite beautiful if you can uh, find a way to do it. Uh, we also use tape in the mastering too. We found that really? yeah. Very cool. That's cool to know. Yeah, well, one of the tracks on your new album that caught me off guard, and it's the one you mentioned a second ago, is "This." She reminded me of you. And <laughs> when I when I first heard your opening vocal, I thought to myself, "Who is this singing?" You know, at first <laughs> I said, I, "You know, it's it's sort of a tear in your beer, slow paced, you know, borderline honky tonk kind of ballad." And and yes. where did this where did this come from? Yeah. Yeah, that has a that has an interesting history. I mean, I, I'd have to say that first of all, there are two two uh, tunes that that I think got stuck in my head again from that, from that very early time when I fell in love with like all the British invasion pop and rock. Uh, one tune was from the, from the stones, some girls record. And we used to yeah. do this tune. Um, let me see what's it called. It's the one, uh, Oh, uh, far away eyes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, you remember that one with the far away eyes. It's yep. a fantastic track. And, yeah, right. and Mick talks the verses and then they sing the chorus. So right. it's a similar form that way. But I, I was at a friend's place down where I grew up, uh, and for some reason he had a, rec- a, a, a Harry Nilsson record on. I don't know if you remember Harry Nilsson. Oh, yeah. But uh, I had a couple of his records, and I don't know, they, they, 
they're lost with wherever whoever has my <laughs> collection, you know. Um, but he was playing a full a full record of Harry Nilsson's, and a tune came on which had, I don't remember the name of it anymore, but it it had the same idea. It was it was another one of those talking verses and uh, sung choruses, and I and I used to love that record in high school. So I think maybe it was the the idea for the the type of song. That it that it turned out to be uh, mm-hmm. was in was in my you know unconscious there you know just brewing you know but uh, but that whole song I remember writing on a plane ride from from Warsaw to New York I think it was Warsaw um, I I had a I had a a gig in Poland to do um, I was there for about a week and touring with a drummer who who hooked up a gig for me and. Uh, it was on the way back. I, I, it was the strangest thing because I have no idea where it came from. But I was on the plane, and the thing just came to me in like you know ten, fifteen minutes. Music, lyrics, and everything. And I remember writing it out. In I think I had a, one of those PDAs. You know, those, like before I had a, a phone that you could type into and all that. You know, I had a this little. Uh, personal digital assistant, I think they used to call him, like a Palm Pilot or something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I used to type, and so I, I remember frantically typing, and in a very strange way, I was trying to make sure I, I could remember how I was phrasing the melody, because I had the whole idea in my head. And, and I, so I, I wrote with all small, uh, small lowercase letters, except where the accents for the downbeats were, you know. Mm. And then, even if it was in the middle of a line, like she reminded me, if... if I would make it a capital M, so yeah. I would sing. So I remember seeing the minded me like right on the downbeat because I was trying to make sure I didn't forget how the thing went. You know, I was that's interesting. Sleep, yeah. you know, have another glass of wine, fall asleep before I got to New York, and then wake up and forget all about it. So, and uh, or find it on my Palm Pilot the next day and not remember at all how. <laughs> it went, you know? So because I had no music paper and you know, I was just and no way to record anything. So. So uh, yeah, it, it's still it's some, somewhere. I still have a copy of it with like all these weird capital letters in the middle of words. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing how the different notations uh, you invent that nobody else would ever understand that? Yeah, no it, one it just tells you stuff. <laughs> this guy's out of his mind. But, <laughs> yeah, but it, it you know it made sense to me and uh, and it and it allowed me to remember it. And uh, when I got home, I finally uh, I put it on paper, and, or maybe I recorded. It, I forget. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's a funny one. To, you know. That guy's the guy. The character who sings it is a real prick. I can't imagine where he came from. <laughs> but it's pretty funny. Yeah, well, you can imagine what a title. Even people who haven't heard the, you know, the song, you can imagine uh, from the title what a, the nature of it. You know, she reminded me of you. It's not a very good excuse, guys. Don't try it. You don't try that at all. <laughs> Well, let's take one more break and let's uh, check out the tune She Reminded Me of You. This is John Harrington from his album Shine, Shine, Shine on Inside Music Cast. Yeah, I know it ain't 
right. But sometimes my life just feels like such a mess. Now, I don't mean to cause you pain. I just wanted to explain. Get this little heartache off my chest. Well, you know how one thing leads to another, and you lose yourself in the
I'll bet you a peso Hell, make it a dime If you give him some time God will grant you relief From the torment in your soul Hey, there's some really good, uh, really nice uh, horn parts on, on this song. Um, tell us about that. You're arranging, and also uh, who was in the horn section on this track? Well, yeah, unfortunately, I, that was my, my big, like my office staff, my huge office staff. Uh, somehow <laughs> they overlooked that, uh, and my good buddy Stan Harrison, who was a college uh, roommate of mine, was the saxophonist on that. He's got, uh, he played alto and tenor on it, hey. and, uh, and he's a beautiful player, and uh, he's, he's, he's worked with... Uh, he had a long, he's had a long, long history of uh, playing with great bands from uh, Southside Johnny and Asbury Jukes to David Bowie to, uh, yeah, he worked with Diana Ross for a while, worked with uh, Serge Gainsbourg and uh, hmm. it's on a Stevie Ray Vaughan track on one of Stevie Ray Vaughan's records. Hey, yeah, he's, he's done a lot of stuff and a uh, great player and a good old friend of mine. Uh, and um, he, uh, I was looking for, I was looking for uh a Tex-Mex kind of sound because the setting of that tune is somewhere yeah. like you know down near the border there. Yeah. And there's some lyrics that refer to uh, you know uh, a Mexican band and uh, tequila and you know so it's it, that's the vibe and and so the whole sound of the tune is supposed to be a little more Tex-Mex. So we went with yeah. that. And uh, there's a there's a sort of a style that uses a couple of saxophones in thirds or sixths like that and, and accordion is a big instrument so I got my buddy Rob Morrisberger to play some some accordion that sounded like the right you know instrument for that too sure. so oh, yeah we did it we did it up in the Tex-Mex way as well as well as we could so. <laughs> well hey listen uh, our German correspondent Uwe Reith who um, who comments quite a bit on, on our on our Facebook pages he has a question for you and he wanted to know he's a good he's a guitarist and mm -hmm. he wants to know um, about the guitar selection for this album did you use primarily your uh, Gibson 335 or what other guitars did you use uh, in your arsenal here uh, you know, it's, it'd be hard for me to remember exactly what I did on uh, on all these tunes. I didn't keep a re keep a record of it, but but I certainly had uh, some go to guitars, and, and they're probably the ones that are on there mostly. Uh, no question, I, I did use uh, one of my uh, probably the most comfortable guitar I have to play is this Gibson uh, CS three three six. It's uh, it's sort of like a shrunken three thirty five, but it's a slightly higher end guitar and. Uh, 
that one that one gets a lot of use and um and that's certainly on the record uh i remember that one's on uh dreamin i think is that one okay sure um and probably some other ones too uh I, there's a les paul uh with p90s that i that i used on a mm-hmm. couple tracks um there's uh a Fender guitar called a Telesonic that I know I, I remember I used that one on uh, Up for Grabs. Cool. Um, the there was a Hamer Special on uh, a track. Let's see, that was fabulous. The solo on Fabulous there, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure my Fender Telly got in got on there for some. Oh yeah, that's for Thirteen Feet of Rain. That's certainly the Telly. Mm-hmm. I can't remember more of the thought on this one. Yeah. Uh, the the only fool was a Fender Strat with a Sadowski neck that I had put on there, and uh, let's see. So there's a bunch of them, yeah. Yeah, but okay. Maybe maybe six or seven or eight guitars uh, yeah. that get a lot of time, you know. Mm-hmm. Another track that I really appreciated on this album was the track called "Say You'll Stay," and um, th- this one has a, a really cool groove. And I guess if there's any track on the album that has sort of a a Steely Dan sort of influence, it'd be this one. I, you know, I love the funky bass groove on the, on this track. I think that's true. It, it probably is the closest. That somebody else told me that recently. It was the one that sounded closest to a Steely Dan sort of vibe. And I guess that, yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, although I wouldn't say wouldn't have said that was an influence or anything like that. Um, in that case, well, that's uh, you know that's something I wanted to ask you. I had a, a longer, more drawn out question for you, but just in a nutshell. You know, having spent so much time, you know, working with, you know, Donald and Walt over the years since, since 1999, mm-hmm. you know, like I mentioned earlier, you, you know, when somebody asks me if, if I'm mentioning your album to somebody and they ask if it has a Steely Dan feel to it, I say no. But is there anything that you've taken from those guys when you're working on your own solo project? Is, is there anything that sort of infiltrates into your own style? Well, I, I'd, I, I think the way I'd – the first thing that comes to mind when I think about that is uh, – is maybe something about the guitar playing because I, mm-hmm. you know, and t- until I had that uh, regular gig with Steely Dan, which, w- with the very very rare and amazing uh, opportunity of repeating itself, like sort of every three years or so, which is what we kind of averaged when I began working with them, you know, uh, sure. um, a- until I had a, a gig where, you know, it-, it went on long enough, we did enough shows, there was enough response, you know, conditions were good. And it happened again and again and again. You know, I never had a circumstance in my my playing career where, where I really had like a way like like that kind of opportunity to develop my own playing. You know, um, what what it seems to me like like all the guys, all the great players over the years that I've loved, have always been people who've had that sort of repetitive opportunity you know in their in their playing career to to work with the same bunch of people to play the same kind of music often with the same people you know uh, right. over years and years and doing a lot of gigs all the time uh, a serious focus on on a, a catalog of tunes and on a way of playing and on you know certain sonic approach you know just a consistency and a and a focus that you know as a freelancer I never had before uh, mm-hmm. like in the old days like you know I mean if if I were just doing sessions like I was trying to do all through the 80s and 90s you know I would get a call maybe once every 6 months or so to do like oh can you come and play like a rockabilly style thing you know you know like Brian Setzer I think <laughs> well, I try, you know, so I'd listen a little to a Brian Setzer record or two and like kind of see if I could get the right sound, see if I get the right idea, you know, make make sure I felt like a little, and you know, because I, I, I have a knack for doing that in a bunch of 
guitar styles. I can kind of get by that way, but you know, there's no way I can do it like Brian Setzer. He does it all the time, and that's and that's basically all he does. You know, right, and right. That sounds so so great at it, you know. But for me, like I would do it once and say, okay, well, I got through it, and you know, I, usually with decent results. But like, you know, the next chance I got to work on it would be like I'd, I'd get called to do it again in in the real world. You know, like once every six months or once a year or something like that. Well, you don't get very you, you don't get better very fast at that style unless you're playing it all the time, right? You know? Any right. stuff, you know, and uh, you know, in between, I'd be doing something else, and like you know, this gig, that gig requires this kind of approach, this kind of guitar. So, you know, my my, my ba- the long story short is just basically Steely Dan is the is was my first real opportunity to play the same music with the same people like again and again, and yeah. that and that just is is the golden opportunity to sort of right. really, really, you know, focus on your playing. And if you don't squander the opportunity, which I, I certainly tried not to do, you know, if you, I, I took that stuff home, I said, okay, well, here's another year of, of like these same tunes, you know, uh, I worked on them before, like, what can I do to sort of make it even better this time? You're like, what, what else can I do on, in, in, with this great, you know, great bunch of tunes, this, this great solo opportunity. There's so much guitar playing in that band, you know. Yeah. Steely Dan allowed me to sort of get clearer about what I liked to do and the kind of guitar playing I like to do and what I identified as natural over the years, you know, that uh, I think I've taken that and I've tried to sort of make sure that that comes out in my playing in a way I don't think it did as, as well, like on Like So, for instance, you know. Right. I mean, I, th- I still like that record and I think it's still got some good guitar playing on it. But uh, And I was beginning to sort of get a handle on like, you know, who I was, you know, what, what came natural, to, naturally to me, what, what made sense for me to play and, you know, the stuff that I, that felt like me, you know, I was getting a handle on that, but there's no question that the Steely Dan gig really allowed me to, to, to really speed that whole process up. And right. I think that's what, uh, that's, I do hear that, you know, the guitar playing in this on Shine, Shine, Shine really seems a lot more personal, a lot more focused to me. More, It's much more, and, and a lot of it is, you know, stuff that I've learned through just working those Steely Dan tunes, you know. So it doesn't sound like Steely Dan tunes to me, but it does sound like, mm-hmm. more like the guitar player who plays with Steely Dan, you know. It does sound like that to me, you know, like, oh, well, you know, when it's time to hear a solo, I, I do feel like I'm approaching it in a similar way. Right. And let's take another break and check out the track Say You'll Stay by John Harrington on Inside Music Cast. They tempt and they tease you They take you right in They turn Deceive you, then caress you again. They stick you like needles, and they prick you like pins. Words are the weapons, the battle begins. I 
tell me you're leaving You can tell me you'll try the track i wanted to talk about in the album is is a track that i really love it's it's aveline and you know i'm i i hate comparing you know someone's music to another artist but i can't help but hearing sort of a bruce hornsby inspiration on this one oh really and 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 not just you know the musical approach but really your vocal style i just Uh when i listen i'm a big bruce hornsby fan and i just kind of heard some similarities in there i just i just wanted you to tell us a little bit about this track well um that's interesting you say that. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I've, I've always loved Bruce Hornsby. Uh, his writing is amazing, a really unique thing, and uh, consistently good to me. And I, I love his singing too. I, uh, well, good. I hope I was hoping that wasn't an insult. No, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I, I love Bruce too. He's so great. Um, the, uh, I would say, like, uh, "Say You'll Stay" in, in a funny way reminds me a little more of of a Bruce Hornsby vibe for some reason. There's something about about that 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 also strikes me as like not far from 
something that he does. But uh, uh, I don't know. I, I'd have to think about the the vocal on Aveline, um, whether it uh, certainly wasn't a conscious thing. I wasn't thinking yeah. about yeah. him. I'll tell you what, let's give everyone a chance to check this tune out. Um, this is the track Aveline from today's guest, John Harrington. Listen, I wanted to uh, to ask you, you know, if our fans want to pick up uh, a copy of your new album, where can they go? It's available on iTunes and CD Baby, any other venues? Uh, I think I think it's up on Amazon.com. Now. Okay. Um, and I, I'm hoping to have uh, my website up there um, soon or possibly maybe an eBay store where uh, 
where we uh, can also offer it. Um, the uh, website is kind of under construction, and I'm, I'm hoping it won't be much longer that we get it up. But we're going to try to have a store on the website for the first time, and certainly the records will be available directly through us that way. So, uh, well, I'm I'm also curious to know uh, in regard to this album, you know, how from a promotional standpoint, I mean, you know, with the with the internet and the ability to reach your own fans, I'm assuming that the promotional aspect still has to be, you know, sort of a difficult endeavor. I mean, you guys have played. Uh, you know, you know, a few gigs recently in support of the new CD, and and uh, I mean, it's obviously getting out in front of an audience and and that sort of thing is is important. And doing interviews like this, what what else do you guys plan to do to promote the album? Well, uh, basically, I, I think it's going to have to be a grassroots effort because we don't have a right. We don't have a big budget for uh, you know for hiring a radio promoter, which is what a lot of people will do to try to get their mm-hmm. songs on the radio. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to have a, a great assistant working for me now, and and she's been uh, really helpful just in in uh, allowing us to to sort of tackle a wider, uh, just a wider, just a a lot more tasks every day. You know, I mean, I sure. I, I, I uh, when I was trying to do a lot of this stuff myself, you know, I ended up like wondering at the end of the week, well, I thought I was going to, when I, when I wanted to be a musician, I thought I might have time to play some music, you know, but I ended up feeling like a secretary <laughs> and a, you know, I'm on the phone or I'm on the computer and, you know, like hours and hours, there's so much <laughs> to do. And the, you know, the to-do list is like endless. It's, it feels, and she's taken a, an awful lot of that off of my plate and allowed us to uh, get much more done in a hurry. And we've really, we really pushed hard in the last three months, uh, to get, uh, she got a Facebook uh, fan page up, which which she's uh, really kind of keeping updated and listing all of our our gig events. And uh, she's she's finding video and and putting up notices about that stuff. And uh, well, let's give know, her so, some, let's give her some credit. It's it's Susan Johnson. It's Susan Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <she's been> doing, <laughs> uh, and um, I, I don't know I, if you spell my name right. I think you can find that site. It's J O N H E R I N G T O N. And uh, I think it, it's it's probably the most uh, active fan page that's up there. I think there are a couple others, but that's I think it'll be pretty obvious that that's the that's the one with you know the most information and the one that's updated most frequently. And uh, lots of cool things that uh, that are coming through that. So. Um, and she's gotten us some TV stuff in the Philadelphia area and uh, cool. some gigs there. And uh, we've been doing some gigs. We just did a, a fun gig at uh, the Iridium in New York. And uh, hmm. that was that was really fun. We had the Steely Dan girls uh, singing with us, too. And there's some there's some uh, video on the web up there that you can, if you hunt. I think you can find it all through the uh, through that Facebook fan page. Do you, do you have any, any live gigs coming up in the next month or so? We do. We're, we have one up on Wednesday, uh, the, what would that be, the 18th? No, the 18th is Friday. Uh, 16th? The 16th of, uh, of uh, this month, 16th of February, we'll be at the Note in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And then the following week, we have a gig at uh, a, a beautiful dive bar in uh, New York City called the P&G Bar and Grill. Cool. Yeah, P&G Bar. The new PNG, and uh, it's on 78th and Columbus in Manhattan, and uh, it's an old haunt of ours, and uh, it's always fun. And uh, let's see what else we got. It's, those are the ones that are coming right up. Yeah. Hey, real quickly, back in September, uh, Rick 
and I and a couple of our correspondents, uh, Brian Pearson and Scott Gross, we uh, attended uh, the Dukes of September show in Chicago. And, of course, that featured Boz, Michael McDonald, and Donald Fagan. And uh, all I can say, it was a very interesting show. Uh, it was a different show, and it sort of threw us for a loop because coming in, we didn't uh, know what to expect because uh, the guys really put their original material sort of on the back seat. Uh, that was uh, very interesting. How did this uh, – did you know how this concept came to be? Because uh, you know, I don't know exactly I, I, uh, how it came to be. I, I do think that, uh, that Donald Walter sort of – after, after I think three years in a row of uh, summer work with Steely Dan, I, I think they felt it was it was uh, time to give it a break. Um, and uh, but I think Donald wanted to work, and uh, <laughs> so and there was some talk about maybe a, a, another Donald Fagan tour because we had only done that very brief one uh, back in '06, I right. think it was. and I think it was about a month is all we did. Yeah, and, that was it. Um, so I don't know what I don't. I'm not sure of like the genesis of the project, but I know that I mean I remember all that was happening then. There was definitely it was clear there was not going to be a Steely Dan tour. It was clear that Donald felt like working, um, and then I don't know where the idea of of the you know the the three guys together came up from. I'm not sure whose inspiration that was, but but I'll tell you it was. It was a blast to do. It was so much fun, and uh, the vibe was completely different from it was. Steely Dan vibe. And uh, you know, I think I think partly what was great about it was that you had each of these principals who was used to carrying, doing the heavy lifting, you know, all all night long, mm-hmm. you know, vocally. Like every one of them, and that's got to be hard to do. Well, I know it's hard to do. I've been doing gigs with my own yeah. band, so I'm <laughs> doing the heavy lifting there, and it's hard, you know. So the idea that each one of them was uh, only going to do maybe two, I think sometimes some shows we did maybe three, but most of the time it was about two hits, yeah. two, two well-known tunes from each of the principals, and that's it. And if that's <laughs> all you've got in terms of like you know that kind of heavy lifting and that big responsibility for your catalog, it's like, it's just like, I think it's so freeing for yeah. those guys. I think, I think they just all had a blast. I mean, Donald got to play acoustic piano, and uh, play some melodica, and uh, uh, Michael got to, uh, he played banjo on one tune or ukulele. two. Ukulele. Well, ukulele or did, something. Didn't he have an accordion, too? I think he did, yes. He, he did. Yeah, there was a track Barry that he played accordion. Yeah, the Chuck Berry tune. It yeah. Great. Uh, you never can tell. That, that's <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so he was he was stretching, and, uh, and Boz got to sort of just, uh, like, there was one great tune where Boz just sent a fantastic... Uh, it was the song that Catherine Russell sang, and it was a, uh, it was like a Muddy Waters version of a, I live the life I love and I love the life I live. It was like we basically did did a sort of uh, pretty close version of the Muddy Waters uh, okay. uh, version of it, and uh, and Catherine Russell sang it and sang the heck out of it, and uh, and Boz just got to play blues guitar and it <laughs> sounded fantastic. I mean, because he, he's that's yeah, that's where he's always lived on guitar all his life. He's been a, a you know, blues man all his life. Right, and right. He just he just sounded fantastic. And like the pressure was off. I mean, I don't think he he never really got got a chance to do that on his own gig. You know, because he's you know pretty much in the front all the time. This way, he kind of was in the front, but you know the pressure was off about the vocal for that one tune, and he got to shine on the on the you know the blues guitar. It was just, it's just beautiful. So. I think that's what was so special about it for me, and uh, you know, it was fun. The tunes are a little, uh, a little more, a little simpler, a little more down earth, and 
you know, it was just... Yeah, I, I like what you said about, you know, the the pressure was sort of off because, you know, the expectation of doing all the hits of their discography that people have come to expect and, and the tightness and the way they, you know, the guys play and the way you deliver the Steely Dan or his own songs, all that was totally gone. I mean, when you guys started, you know, you know, mm-hmm. uh, pumping out Steppenwolf tracks, Sookie Sookie, and then, then you guys did Heidi High, and then, right. <laughs> you know, all, all these songs, it left sort of people, I think, at least me and the guys uh, that were there listening, it left our job in the form like holy cow you know where are they going with this thing it was all over the place <laughs> but it was the one and that's another great thing i mean i think i think it showed everybody how much these guys uh just love to play and love love uh you know that this that that music you know there was there's so much great music and it was so diverse you know there was a, it, that covered a lot of ground sure did but, uh, but you know it was it was all very spirited, I thought, and uh, just very, co- very cooperative. It was a great sounding band, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's it just was uh, it was a it was a blast. I hope that one's not not uh, gone for good either. I hope we get to do some work <laughs> with with uh, the Dukes because right. that was that was special. And I think what surprised me the most, and, and one of the highlights was the encore when you guys came out and did "Help Me, Rhonda." <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that yeah, that's... You know, there was another one. I don't know if you remember. Uh, I don't know if we did it on that show. We didn't always do it. There was another encore that uh, that got into the mix. Uh, it's um, oh, what's the name of it? Uh, Something in the air. It's called. It was, it was like a kind of a '60s rock anthem that uh, almost nobody. Uh, I think it was a one-hit wonder kind of band. Uh, Thunderclap Newman was the name of the art. <laughs> Holy cow! Wow. Yeah, you, you remember wow. the? It's. A, oh yes, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Because there's something in the air. Yes. yes. That's the great That was classic. I used to love that. When they, when they pulled that out, I said, yes, this is going to be a blast. <laughs> I, had to tell, I had to tell you what that, that song reminds me of. Uh, did you ever see the movie Almost Famous? Uh, yeah, I did. I think I did, they, yes. That song, that song appears in that movie, and every uh, time I'm I hear it, yeah, it's okay. one of my all-time favorite movies, and, and every time I hear that song, I, you know. <laughs> but you did perform that, with Eddie. We did, you did perform that in Chicago. Oh, we did? Okay. I, do, I do recall hearing that, because I was trying to figure out for the life uh, of me who good. sang that song, and I'm glad you said it, because I still I'm haven't been able to. But then again, you also delivered a, a, a totally off the, the 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 spectrum type of song, the OJ's Love Train. The the oh, house went crazy, and I'm like, "What are you guys doing, man?" <laughs> it was pretty I don't fun. Know where that came from, you know? It was I a mean, fun. I, night. I think maybe Donald thought of that one. I mean, the, his taste. I mean, he just he just loves so much music, and uh, yeah. you know, I just think that was just a fun one too. I mean, it, and yeah, help me, Rhonda. You know, he's a Beach Boys fan. <laughs> I mean, in a way, when you listen to Maxine, for instance, that's kind of like yeah, it's kind of Four Seasons Beach Boys, but kind oh of sure, through through the you know the Donald Fagan and the and sort of serious jazz harmony lens, you know, like it's uh, it's not that different really, but uh, yeah. a little more refined maybe. But. Oh, before we wrap things up, John, I just wanted to ask you, um, what do you get? What are you doing right now? I mean, what what sorts of projects are you involved in, and uh, what do you foresee for two thousand eleven? Well. Uh, Right now, we've uh, I've been really focusing almost entirely on the John Harrington band, just trying to get sure. get, uh, get the business happening, get it yeah. get ourselves booked, get out and play, uh, write tunes for the band. We're going to do a recording at the end of this month, and I think that'll we'll have about nine tunes in the can after that. And uh, so I'm hoping uh, that we'll be able to you know get that get that whole record done pretty quickly. It's not going to be one of those 
you know, very multi-layered records. It's gonna, we're, we're basically going to try to make it sound like like a polished version of what we sent, what we do live. You know, maybe with a couple overdubs, but not a lot. It's going to be pretty stripped down and very much like what we've been playing in the in the clubs. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that. That's gonna that's gonna take a little work. I've also uh, got myself booked to do uh, a couple weeks in the states with Madeline Peru. She's uh, oh yeah, the singer I've uh, worked with on and off for uh, probably three years now, and. Uh, we have two weeks in the beginning of April. I think we start in Seattle and work our way down to California, and uh, not sure where else. But uh, and then uh, I'll be home for, with doing some more gigs with my band the rest of April, and then uh, beginning of May, for about three weeks, uh, I go away with Madeline again. And this time it's to Europe. Uh, lots of lots of work in the UK and in Spain. And actually, for the first time, uh, it looks like I'm going to get to Istanbul, Turkey, and to Moscow, wow. Russia. I've never been so. Uh, so that'll Very be cool. an adventure, yeah. and uh, the rest of the summer I'm not sure about. But that's uh, I, I am booked through uh, the third week of May, and we I think we might have a couple more things with with my band in the end of May and early June. So uh, that's that's all I know about 2011 so far. But uh, but I'm going to try to uh, you know if, if I'm not uh, if I'm not on the road, I'm going to be working as working to get my own band on the road and and working uh, in town to finish that record. Very yeah. cool. Well, it was, it's been great to catch up with you. Like I said, it's been three years, and uh, we've been wondering about you, wondering what's happening. We've caught, you know, we've we've caught up with you at a couple of Steely Dan shows and said hello. And you know, I I've, I know I've been bugging you for two years about, hey, how's your new album coming along? <laughs> yes. I'm I'm, uh, I'm so relieved to have it out there. It feels really good. Um, and uh, thank you for your patience. <laughs> Not a problem. Well, John, thanks again for joining us, and uh, let's catch up again, hopefully before three years pass by. Good to talk to you, and uh, yeah, stay in touch. All right, take care. Take care, John. Bye bye. Special thanks to John Harrington for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zabe, Uwe Reith, and Mikhail Ingstrom. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com, where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. <laughs>